I'm Kate Daniels. One of the major crises we're facing in our world today is that of mental illness, particularly the mental illness that is going undiagnosed and thus going untreated. It's a hellish situation for the individual, and we really need to see the effect and the cost to each of us. Bob Krulish is a family mental health advocate and coach, and now an author of the new book, When Screams Become Whispers. Bob is also a national speaker for NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Bob Krulish, good morning, and thank you so, so greatly for being with us today. Oh, you're so welcome, Kate. Thank you. I am just in in awe of you and is so grateful for the work that you're doing because certainly anything around helping those with mental illness, advocating for mental health is, of course, very critical and, and there's just a crying need for it in our society. There really is. There really is. It's a really big problem in our country and around the world with uh, mental illness, in particular with untreated mental illness. It's a real, real big problem. And thankfully, with someone like you, who has experienced it in his own life and now is living with this and then using your experiences to make a difference, I think that just gives such uh, validation, such a great place to come from so that those who are suffering can see hope for one thing, but trust your guidance and your insight. Does generally happen. Uh, people really like my guidance and insight. I coach mostly parents in my coaching, my private coaching practice, and they just love the fact that I really understand their ill loved one so well, and I can give them a lot of insight to what's going on. And so part of that insight is realizing that with some forms of mental illness, a diagnosis can be really difficult to make. And sometimes, uh, you know, people just ignore things, kind of adapt, I think, to a certain way of life. And therefore, it makes life so much more challenging. So you've experienced that. Maybe we should start with at least a a little recap, because to tell your story means to read the book. So to get the real version, the book, of course, uh, When Screams Become Whispers is critical to read. But if you could share with us some of your life story, Bob. Yeah, I'd be happy to. And, you know, you mentioned how critical these topics are. Much to my surprise, my book actually made it to number one on Amazon New Releases the other day. (laughs) And I was like, what? This is really a hot topic for a lot, a lot of people. And what happened with me is with bipolar disorder, it's generally genetic, but it requires some kind of an event to trigger it. So unfortunately, as I learned throughout this process, my dad must have had it himself. And when I was 16, he just up and left. And, And I mean up and left. And we never heard from him again. And that really triggered my bipolar. And I started becoming symptomatic at that time. But I didn't get diagnosed for another 35 years being symptomatic with bipolar disorder. And that's really what makes it so hard is that uh, we don't go see the doctor when we're manic. So 
uh, the doctor doesn't get a chance to see that we might have bipolar symptoms. So it was 35 years of really making a mess out of my life, uh, destroying it many, many times over and, and nearly losing my life to this illness twice. And that is the thing with bipolar that I'm kind of scratching the surface of, of having an understanding, but you said there's the manic stage, but yeah. then there's the depressive stage or depression. So yeah. that's when you might seek some help, and therefore the diagnosis is totally wrong. Exactly. You'll go see when you're depressed, and the real, the real meanness of this illness is that if you actually have bipolar disorder and you're given an antidepressant because you went in there because you're depressed, that antidepressant will make you manic. And I was on an antidepressant for many years of my life, and I was an uncontrolled mania from it. And you'd never go back to follow up with a doctor, though, because you feel invincible you feel on top of the world, why would you go back to the doctor so they don't know that you just went full bore manic with the antidepressant? So it's a really, it's a real nasty, nasty illness. And I can think like of spending perhaps a few weeks, which would still seem endless, or a few months, which would be horrible, but you spent, what did you say, 35 years? 35 years of being untreated or misdiagnosed and, and mistreated, unfortunately. And then there was an episode before I got treated that lasted about three years when I was put on a, a different antidepressant. And I'd lost everything that was dear to me, my family, my 25-year marriage, my children, custody of my children, company of my children, all my wealth, I signed it away in my mania, and I went from really doing very well in life, everything you'd want to have, to living by myself in an abandoned cabin out in the woods, sleeping on the floor for a couple of years. That's what this illness can do to somebody. It, it, that it feels unfathomable to to have that happen in your life to and and to be living with it not knowing what's going on i could appreciate a person wanting to just call it quits great yes absolutely you know the whole world doesn't make sense <clears throat> everybody nobody makes sense yeah, everybody's leaving you as a friend you're just getting more and more isolated more lonely more more alone and 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 there's this this constant um, badgering of thoughts. We call it just reminisce, uh, 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 ruminating, not reminiscing, ruminating and persevering thoughts that are just so painful that you really look for how can I get out of this? How can I? How, what I ended up thinking was how can I? How can I treat myself better? And that's what led me to. My first attempt on my life was, how can I treat myself better? Isn't that something? Yes. And and so we, what that gives us is insight into just the the real tragedy uh, 
of human lives that are struggling with this, but no one seems to understand and therefore wanting to just put an end to it all. Absolutely. The noise is so hard. It's so loud in your head. It's so painful. Some people go to cutting themselves um, to um, create a different kind of pain to focus on. I went to hitting myself really hard, like with a baseball bat on my head, until I had welts, and and just you're just looking for relief somehow, and that's that's where you go looking for it. It's really it's really it's just so hard, and the and the number of people that go untreated is is an, it's probably about forty percent of the people. With us, with mental illness in this country, go untreated. That's about 20 million people, and of course they're going to have these awful symptoms. And with bipolar, um, the awful statistic is that 50% of people with bipolar will make at least one attempt on their life, and unfortunately, 20% of the people with bipolar will die from it because of taking their own life. Because of taking their own lives, yeah. yes. And yeah. w- just with the little that you have described, and of course you go into much greater detail in your book, which is appreciated. We can't do that right here. But in the book, When Screams Become Whisper, One Man's Inspiring Victory Over Bipolar Disorder, <laughs> here you you give us the ups and the downs and the ins and outs so that people can understand and they may identify with it for themselves potentially or perhaps more probably for a loved one or a friend. Exactly. We we really could do better with our literacy around what mental illness really looks like in a person. And I hope my book will help a lot of people with that. Uh, like you said, it'll help them identify perhaps if they're the they have the illness, and it helps a lot of loved ones identify. You know, caregivers identify about their loved ones. Right. We just don't understand um, the signs. <clears throat> it would be really helpful if we did, um, so that we can we can um, help people. You know, if somebody would have just recognized my signs. Um, and, and, and found a good way to communicate that to me, that would have saved so much of my loss and destruction in my life and, and all the hurt that caused, you know, people that I really care about. Truly. So you're try- what you're doing is aiming to make up for lost time and lost life. I am. I'm trying, and I'm really trying my hardest to uh, really... Um, Prevent this from happening to other people, you know, that uh, going undiagnosed, untreated, uh, just an awful way to live. And for some people, they have a medical condition that gets in the way of them knowing they have an illness. It's really bizarre, but um, what ends up happening with some people is when their illness gets triggered, the part of the brain that sees that they're ill, isn't able to communicate to the part of the brain that recognizes they're ill. And so they go around 
it's called anosognosia, the medical term, and they go around, and this is about 8 million people in the United States that will never be able to be aware because of this other factor, this other symptom. They'll never be able to be aware that they're ill. And so I, my work is all about how do I, how can I communicate to somebody who will never believe they have an illness like schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, how can I help them get treatment? And that's the work that I do all the time. It's really, it's a, it's a very, very severe thing that we have going on in, in our country. Um, we find this in 50% of the people with bipolar disorder have this other symptom, and about 60 to 70% of people with schizophrenia have this inability or lack of insight to their illness. And is that, uh, is that because of denial that... I couldn't possibly have this mental illness. Is it a, a stigma? So they just ref, the that part of the brain refuses to even acknowledge what? How does that work, Bob? Isn't that something? Yeah, I know. We 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 think of it as denial because it looks like denial, but there's a part of their brain. I always kind of refer to this as like imagine there's a part of your brain that can see things, and then there's this pathway to being able to understand it so like if i saw things with my eyes i'd be able to then process that in the back of my brain what i saw well with this illness that little communication that bridge from one from a thought to a knowing it is just broken it has to do with the frontal lobe of the brain it's very complicated um but it but it's not denial they just can't know, and 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 treatment doesn't even help them to know. It's really insidious. It, yes, and and so the majority of people with mental illness have this disease as well. Would you say you did not because you were able to finally come to a place of finding the help you needed and really creating your life again? Yeah, that's a great question, and and you're right. I didn't really have this anosognosia thing going on because eventually I was able to have awareness of my illness. And and with serious mental illness, as you mentioned, it's in the majority of the people with a serious mental illness have this condition. Interesting though, when you're manic, you behave as if you have no awareness of the illness. You, because it, it puts you into a such a grandiose state of mind that you believe you're invincible. Like I, I would tell people, I don't know why, you know, if I met you, Kate, I might have said, I don't know why you can't fly like I can fly. I know I can fly. Mm-hmm. I, I just haven't done it recently, but I can fly. And and you're just so invincible and, and you're and of course, you're not going to believe you have an illness during your mania. So I've experienced what it feels like to have this anosognosia, but I don't have it as a as a lifelong condition like so many people do. And with having that condition, does it really uh, prevent getting help? How do how does that work? It really does. And um, 
excuse me, it prevents people from getting treatment because it's like me asking somebody to take insulin that doesn't believe they have diabetes. You know, they'd look at me like I'm the strange one. And so I learned a long time ago from a doctor, Javier Amador, who wrote this great book called I Am Not Sick, I Don't Need Help. And it's all about this condition. And he discovered a way to communicate with somebody with this condition in a way that led them to take medication, even though they never understood they had the illness. And he, he, he did this with his brother who had schizophrenia and anosognosia. And he, in his PhD program, he figured out a way to communicate to him. And it's really remarkable. And thank goodness that this is being taught around the world so many different places. Other than that, there's really, we really can't expect them to ever um, gain insight on their own. Right. And this is something that you use in your coaching sessions then because you have learned and, and developed this yourself, correct? That's right. Yeah. It's called LEAP, L-E-A-P. And um, uh, so I, I was trained several years ago by Dr. Amador, and he's, he's just become a good friend and mentor and wrote the forward to my book. And, and I feel like a rock star just because I can mention his name. <laughs> and he's, he's so popular around the world. And, and it's a communication. It's just a way to communicate that builds relationships of trust. And it's really a relationship of trust is what leads a person to um, take someone's advice about taking medication for an illness that they don't know that they have. It kind of goes like this, where I might I might be talking to somebody and say, you know, uh, if his name was Bill, Bill, you know, is there anything that you just really can't seem to get in your life that you really would like to have? And Nancy says, yeah, like a job, I just can't seem to keep one or hold one. Or I can get them all day long. And then I said, you know, what do you think might be doing that? You know, it's like a behavior. Well, anyway, after a series of questions, and of course, I have to be uh, a trusted person for Bill to do this. I might suggest that, uh, you know, one of the behaviors that might be getting in the way of you having a job could be could be managed by a medication, and it might be something to take a look at. And so I have a lot of people that are taking antipsychotics or psychotropic drugs, and they call them their, their job heads, or they call them their uh, – one, one friend of mine just the other day said, Bob, I got back on my meds. I call them my productivity meds. I'm more productive when I'm on meds. I don't care what they are anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm not – I don't think I have an illness, but these make me more productive. And so I took them as my kid men's because they got me a better relationship with my kids. So I still jokingly refer to my medication as my kid men's. <laughs> that is cool. That's great. Why not, you know, to fashion things, mold them so that they really are the support that you need because saying I take a psyche 
psycho what psychiatric drug would seem like yeah. oh so icky so this is that's great reframing it I guess that's what I yeah, yeah. exactly and um, um, I'm looking I've written a TED talk about this and there's a couple organizations that are talking to me about maybe doing that talk this year but it's just reframing it it's it's actually looking at not what the med does to me but what it gets for me. Mm. You know, it gets me a job, it gets me a relationship, it gets me a girlfriend, it gets me a better relationship with my spouse, my kids, whatever. Right. And and so the the process would always be around what does Bill want in life that he's having a hard time getting? And is there is it possible that one of these medications could actually help you get what you want? In spite of who, who cares about the illness? You know, that's what a lot of people say. I don't care about the illness. I, I don't think I am bipolar or schizophrenic, but I love the fact that this I've never held a job for more than two months until I got on this med. And it's just fantastic. And so these this is how I help people who are untreated get treated. Which is great. And... This may already then, with the mention of your book and the coaching that you do, we should mention your website so that people can get more information and know how to get in touch with you, Bob. Yeah, they can get in touch with me at Bob Krulish. That's spelled K-R-U-L-I-S-H dot com. And what I'd recommend they do is, first of all, I offer a free chapter in my book on my website. So they're welcome to get that. And I also do a workshop on LEAP on this very topic um, two or three Saturdays a month. And if they go to the events tab on my website, they can. there's like nine of them coming up right now. Uh, they can sign up for free and attend this three-hour workshop and really get very skilled at this. So... Anyone who's interested uh, could sign up for a, a three-hour workshop on a Saturday. Exactly. Yeah, they're all hosted by different affiliates of the National Alliance on Mental Illness, or we call it NAMI. I've been I'm a NAMI volunteer, and I'm a board member. I've been doing this with them for years. And so different affiliates around the country will host uh, these events for me, uh, and then I make them free to the affiliate and free to people who want to attend. So anybody can attend, even if you're not a member of that affiliate or NAMI even, you can attend. Um, uh, definitely would love people to attend that might be struggling with a loved one that just seems to be in denial. If you have a loved one out there and he, he or she seems to be in denial, this workshop will really open up your eyes on a, on another way to communicate with them. So that, I think, is incredible, uh, just an invaluable gift and could really br bring some important insights to, well, I think all of us, really. Bob, you mentioned having was it you called it a psychotic break right at age 16 yeah right yeah so yeah. was was this condition there because you said it's genetic was it there even younger I guess my question is do younger children then perhaps uh 
live with bipolar disorder uh, exhibiting it? Yes, they do. And people have been diagnosed, you know, as early as six or seven years old. What, um, what, what I learned about in the research teaches us is that there's a genetic propensity for it. So it's going to be in your family history somewhere. It might be depression or understood as depression. So if you have some family with depression, it might have actually been bipolar, as we talked about before. Mm-hmm. And and then you have the gene, and then it has to be triggered somehow. And it's some kind of a, it's really kind of um, really not well understood what is the trigger. Like my brother and sister don't have it. But they went through the same thing. Their dad, like my dad, um, he left us all. And to me, that was a triggering event. It turned on the gene that you just can never turn off. So it happens in children. It happens in all ages. Normally, it, uh, the majority of the time, it's, it's triggered and manifested by the time you're 25 and more often in their late teens. Well, that can be starting at such a young age, if it is Mm. really apparent at six or seven, thinking of living then such a huge amount of your life or maybe not even wanting to live. It's it's Mm. just so, so tragic. So here, this education is just something that we have been lacking for too long, probably because of the stigma, thinking that, oh, you know, we just don't want to acknowledge that this exists, right? Well, in part, the stigma, and and I always say, you know, it's going to be very hard to get rid of the stigma if we still have the behavior in society. We can talk a lot about getting rid of stigma by being aware, but if, if people are still acting very odd, it's going to make people nervous. You know, we, we just are uncomfortable, and so getting helping people get treated and getting well would be the fastest way to get rid of stigma because there wouldn't be the behaviors out there um but it but it is a barrier for a lot of people stigma and um the seemingly being in denial um seems to uh be a barrier for a lot of people to get treatment well and 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 their their caregivers you know, just think that they're they're in denial, uh, and they typically would butt heads. They do a lot of shouldn't is what I say. You know, you should do this, you should do that, you ought to do that, you must do that. And and and, and the individuals like, I don't have an illness, and it's just constant struggle. Uh, you know, when I meet parents, they're 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 in constant struggle with their loved one. And so we learn different ways to communicate so that they can have a better relationship, that trusted relationship that could lead to treatment. And I feel because in just a half hour together, there's just no way we can communicate all that as to how to go about it. It's it's much bigger than that. What we can do, though, is again encourage people to go to your website, get your book, and therefore become more informed and reach out to have your guidance and expertise to help in a situation that might be existing in their own lives. Exactly. You know, if, I always say if your life's 
just doesn't seem to match up with the world. You know, if it seems to be, um, you know, you're frustrated that it doesn't match up, um, that might be a good sign to you that um, to take a look at something. You know, and I also have on my website a tab under called symptoms, and I have all the symptoms of these major uh, illnesses. And I encourage people to take a look at that and see if you identify with anything that might, you know, help you get treatment. And if the world just looks a little bit weird, um, I encourage people to, you know, try to maybe reach out to a psychiatrist and just have a conversation with him or her. Absolutely. Well, then let us mention your website because I think it's definitely an incredible resource for people to get a lot of information and and really choose a, a path to get more informed and to get the help that they that they seek. So the website is it's Bob Krulish, K R U L I S H dot com. Bob dot com. Well, Bob, like I said, there's a free chapter of the book uh, available to them, and uh, all these free workshops are available to them as well. I think those are certainly a great resource, and you are so amazing. I just uh, can't uh, can't tell you enough how much I appreciate that you, Mm. having come through this, will use this. You can see that as awful as it was, that there was a gift in it that you're wanting to share with the world. It really ended up being a gift that I could share, and I'm so humbled and grateful for this opportunity to do that. Thank you. Well, you are so welcome, Bob Krulish.